Welcome to the Troy Kyle Podcast, reconciling students to Christ, transforming Troy University, the marketplace, and the world. Today, you'll be listening to one of our sermons recorded at our Wednesday night worship service. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'd like to start by telling you a story, if that's okay. So, a good while ago, when I was in college, I believe it was going into my junior year, I found myself in this really tumultuous time in life uh, where I just kind of felt like my life was in chaos and everything that could go wrong was going wrong and things were just not going in my favor and um, I just kind of felt like everything had been turned upside down to give you a little bit of uh, perspective of what was going on for me. Um, So I had just transferred to Troy University uh, from the university I'd been at. I'd been at South uh, for a while, and I found out while I was at South that they canceled the program I was there for, and so then I started second-guessing my career path and what should I be doing and what major should I pick, and so I'm going into my junior year having to change majors again uh, still not certain about what I'm supposed to do, still wrestling with am I called to ministry or not. And so I'm wrestling with this, and I'm just really, really worried I'm going to make the wrong choice. So that's going on. Uh, and then at the same time as this is going on, uh, the girl I've been dating for probably two years, the person that I thought I was going to marry, uh, had my, my life planned out ahead of me. Um, I found out that she uh, was cheating on me with one of my friends, and so Obviously, that was very difficult, and it was heartbreaking, but it wasn't just the heartbreak. It was everything that I had planned for my future seemed like it was going down the drain all at the same time uh, to make things worse. You know, I had just moved back into my parents when I transferred back, and so I went from being uh, a free man to someone who is now uh, living at home with his parents again, and so that was a, a difficult transition as well, and uh, I'm sure many of you can relate to what that might be like, and there was a little bit of drama going on in the churches that I was in, and so that was kind of chaotic. And I just, to be honest, I just felt like everything was so uncertain and everything was so chaotic. And all I knew to do was pray and seek what counsel from what I thought were were godly uh, men or godly people in my life. And and I, I was just really struggling because I wasn't sure what the future was going to look like, and I'm a, I'm a real planner, and I like to know what the future is going to look like, and I was just kind of at a loss, and so uh, I've been praying and praying and praying and praying, and so I reached out to uh, the associate pastor of the church that I was a part of, and said, Brother Harrison, uh, I need to talk to you, and so I called him after church, told him that, and he said, okay, and so we set up a time, and he came over to my house one evening uh, so we could talk, and uh, he sat down, and he said, before you tell me what you want to talk about, I need to tell you something, Justin. I said, okay, Brother Harrison, you, you go ahead. You tell me whatever you want to say. And so he said, on Sunday, I felt like the Lord spoke to me to tell you something. And then when I saw you at church, I didn't. He said, and then again, I saw uh, that you were praying at the altar, and I felt again that God told me to tell you this same thing, and I, and I didn't. He said, so when I was on my way home from church and you called me, and told me you need to talk to me, I knew that God was telling me that I have to share this thing with you that I feel like God has told me to share with you. So I said, okay, well, go ahead, let's have it. And he looked at me and he said, Justin, 
I don't know what this means to you. He said, but I feel like God is telling me to tell you that you are a special person and I have a special person for you. Justin, you're a special person and I have a special ministry prepared for you. You just have to be patient. And, and maybe this sounds weird to you, but I can remember that night just as vividly as if it had happened yesterday. My life was in chaos. Things were not going well. I was worried about my future. It seemed like everything had been turned upside down. But for that moment, I knew it was going to be okay. I still didn't have answers. I had no clue what this cryptic message from God was about this special ministry. Had no idea that Chi Alpha might be in my future. Uh, had no idea that I was going to meet Joy and we were going to have a family together. Like none of those things were even a, like in sight at the moment. But at that moment, in the middle of my chaos, I heard the Father's voice. God was speaking to me. And I knew that I knew that at that moment, even though everything was uncertain, even though I was still a little bit frustrated with some stuff that was going on in life, I knew that it was going to be okay. It was almost like I was a kid again, and I was kind of panicking, and I just needed to know that my Heavenly Father was there with me and that I wasn't alone. I think all of us can understand what it means or what it is like to be in a time of chaos. In fact, I think all of us, whether we really understand it or not, have been going through a time of chaos. Some of you here are, are freshmen, and you thought you had plans for your senior year, you had plans for prom, you had plans for graduation, you had plans for a lot of things, and guess what? Everything you thought you had plans for just fell through the cracks. Maybe you're coming back, and this isn't your first year at Troy, but maybe you had great plans for your senior year this year, or you're going to have a great junior year, and all of a sudden, what you thought campus life was going to look like, and the time you thought you were going to spend with your friends, and the awesome things that you were going to do, those things aren't there anymore, and this new reality that we live in, it's kind of chaotic. Listen, even as a ministry, it's been chaos. It's like, can we meet in numbers of this size or this size? Well, what space can we fit in? Can we do an outdoor worship service? Oh, it's going to rain on us if we do that. And it just feels like everything is constantly changing and nothing is certain. And it just feels like chaos for a lot of reasons. Listen, our, our, our world and our nation right now are in chaos. People seem more angry at one another than they've ever been. People seem less patient. It seems like everything that could divide our country, everything that could cause strife and turmoil in relationships, it seems like chaos. It seems like we've been uh, through a lot. We've been through the burning of Australia. We've been through uh, fire NATOs. We've been through double hurricanes. We've been through murder hornets. We've been through all these things, and it's like, what is going to go wrong tomorrow? And I know we like to joke about these things, and maybe uh, some of this is a joke, and maybe we do exaggerate a little bit sometimes. But the reality is, is since this pandemic, since things have been going the way they are, this chaotic lifestyle, it has really affected people mentally. Reports are that anxiety and depression are at an all-time high, that people are struggling just to be okay because of the uncertainty and the chaos in the world we live in. In 
in times of such chaos, in times of such turmoil, what we need most is to hear the voice of God. To be like a child again, and just to hear the voice of our Father telling us, I'm still here. Not that it all has to be fixed in an instant, not that we have to have a magic fix for all the world's problems, but just if we could just know that God is still here, that he is still speaking, that we can still hear his voice, that he still has a plan. Maybe that could give us the hope that we need to make it through all of this chaos. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a time in the Bible, uh, in Israel's history, when they were living in chaos. And I, I hope as we look at what happens in this story, we can find some application for our life today and the chaos we face. So in this story, Israel has uh, recently settled into the promised land. They've conquered and driven out most of the Canaanite peoples. And um, they're living in their individual tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. They've got their land that's allotted for them. They're making a life for themselves. And in the middle of this, there's this seafaring war people, these people who are from the island of Crete, who are excellent uh, warriors. They have advanced weaponry. Uh, they were really skilled uh, in iron and other metal works and the, the weapons and, and the chariots and their, um, their navy. Uh, were, were very advanced technologically, and they spent their entire life training to be warriors. And so these uh, seafaring people from the island of Crete had made their way to the coast of southern Israel, and they had made uh, built five city-states there. And the reason they were there is they were there to pillage and plunder and gather supplies to send back home. And so these people, you've probably heard of them before, they're called the, called the Philistines. And maybe you heard about the Philistines, and you know about Goliath, the giant, and some other things. Uh, but maybe what you didn't, don't understand is that these people were there basically to terrorize Israel and to take what was good in the land and steal it away. That means that Philistines would, would lead raiding parties into the Israel, into the tribes, and at harvest time they would come and steal the crops they would come and steal their other natural resources. They would come and steal their children and their wives to take them to be slaves or to, to be their own wives uh, and, and make them go back to Crete and be, be slaves there. And I know there are a lot of scary things in our world, and I know that uh, people stealing children and putting them into to sex slave slavery and those things are still real things that, that we have to worry about in our world. But that was something that Israel was struggling with because Israel didn't have any national defense. There was no ma national military. Uh, there, was, there was no um, even national worship at the time. And this is part of the reason that Israel was crying out to God for a king was so that they could have some sort of defense against these Philistines, this very well-trained army that was coming and really terrorizing them all the time. They lived in constant fear, not knowing uh, when their crops were going to be stolen or or worse, when their children might be stolen. And so this was a very tumultuous time. And at different times during this time uh, in Israel's history, uh, God had raised up judges, uh, and there would be some peace for a little while, and that, that person would lead, and then and that person would die, and there would be this, this time of chaos. And so Israel finds himself uh, in between judges, in between leaders. Uh, and so this story begins in the book of 1 Samuel. So in the book of 1 Samuel, it opens, uh, we see that there's this woman named Hannah who's praying to God for a child, and she says, uh, God, if you'll give me a, a, a child, if you give me a son, I'm going to dedicate him wholly to the Lord. 
And so God honors her prayer, and she has a son. His name is Samuel, and she dedicates him uh, to the temple. And as soon as he's weaned, as soon as he's able to eat food on his own, she drops him off at the temple and says, Here, God, my son is yours. He's wholly devoted to you and to nothing else. And so what we see in this story, uh, we see some things that were going wrong at the time that were adding to the chaos. You see, the, the temple was was led by a guy named Eli, who was the priest. It was, um, it was the home of the ark there in Shiloh at the temple. And Eli, what we know about Eli, Eli actually isn't a terrible person, just so you know. You know, uh, we see Eli's interaction with Samuel's mother, Hannah, and it seems for the most part as if his interaction is appropriate and godly. And, you know, he, he takes Samuel in as, as, a, as someone to be devoted to serve the Lord. And he does his best to begin training Samuel to serve God. Uh, and it seems to the most part he's, he's a relatively honorable person. Um, and we, we even see the first time that God is speaking to Samuel. Samuel's a bit confused. He doesn't really understand that it's God. And, and Eli kind of sets him straight and says, no, that's, that's God speaking. Go back and say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm listening. And so, so we see that the Eli... Has, has done a decent job and is a, a decent person. But there's this problem. Eli has two sons. And while Eli may not be a terrible person, his sons were wretched people, terrible people, the worst sort of people. And to make it worse, they were serving in the temple as priests. And Eli was aware of the evilness of his sons he was aware of the people's complaints against his sons, and he was aware of his son's sin. And at times, Eli even told his, his sons, hey guys, you, you shouldn't be doing this. This is bad. This is to honor God. And so Eli was very aware of it. Eli had spoken to his sons. He had told them to stop. And uh, it seems like Eli had done okay. But I want us to focus in on a few key verses in 1 Samuel. We're going to look at the very end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. Uh, there's some key quotes that I want to read to you, and I think will we'll really set the tone of what's going on here. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, um, this is a, a prophet speaking to Eli on, on God's behalf. He says, Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling?" And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. So I told you that the Eli's sons were evil and wicked and had been sinning. Um, so to not go into all the details, basically there was a certain order that God had prescribed for what the offering should look like. And, and the offering, uh, the fat should be melted uh, as an offering to God. And then they would boil the meat and then a certain portion of the meat would go to the priest. Well, Eli's sons were very greedy. They were Hophni and Phinehas. They were very greedy, and they said, basically, uh, we just want to go ahead and take the meat raw. We don't want you to wait till you burn the fat off. We actually want the fat left on because we want to roast our meat because it tastes better than boiled, and we want to do it our way, and we really don't care about what God's way is of how this is supposed to happen or what portion we're supposed to receive. Uh, we're going to take what we want because we can. And to make matters worse, uh, they were doing something similar with the young ladies that were ministering in the temple. There were some young ladies who were supposed to be holy and devoted to God who ministered and served in the temple. And instead of them serving in that way, um, Hophni and Phinehas um, were pretty much forcing them to have sex with them. Um, 
these young ladies were probably conscripted, meaning they were designated by their tribe or by their group to be uh, sent to serve. It wasn't necessarily like a vocational choice. And while they were there, Hophni and Phineas were doing this terrible thing of taking advantage of them sexually. And they were taking the things that God had meant to be holy, and they were using them for their own privilege and for their own pleasure. And so God is speaking to Samuel. Sorry, God is speaking to Eli here. And he says, you have honored your sons above me. You have honored your sons above me. Tonight, my question for you is, who will you honor? Who will you honor? Will you choose to honor God in the things that you do and do things his way? Or will you choose to honor other things? So we go on uh, to, to chapter 3, verse 13. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. And this is uh, God getting ready to speak to Samuel. It says, Now Samuel, the boy, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So what do we see? We see that God has pronounced judgment on Eli because he sinned. And that because of Eli's sin, because of the sin he's allowing in the temple, People were not hearing from God. The word of the Lord was rare, and there were no frequent visions, meaning there was no real direction from God about what ought to go on. And so you have this chaos. The Philistines are, are plundering and looting. The people who are supposed to be leading in the temple are corrupt and doing wrong things. And a result of Eli tolerating and the people tolerating these sins the voice of the Lord was rare. People were not hearing from God. There was no vision or direction from God. And then in 1 Samuel 3, verse 13, we see God speaking through Samuel to Eli. It says, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. When we honor God, we will hear his voice. If we dishonor God, we cannot expect him to speak to us and guide us. If we want to hear God's voice, we must honor him. You see, we live in a culture that has tolerated sin for too long. We have a culture of people who are kind of like Eli, that they're really not terrible people. At least they would think that. I say, well, I'm not doing the terrible thing. I haven't murdered anyone. I'm not the one committing adultery. I'm not the one blaspheming God's name. I'm not the one doing those terrible things. That's all these other people. But the problem is, even though maybe we're not the ones doing those things, we have become comfortable with that sin. We have become comfortable living amongst those who live in sin. And we have become so comfortable that we would rather honor our culture or our, our, our social group or our group of friends or our family or maybe even some larger group like our political group. We decide to honor them above God and we're unwilling to acknowledge sin where we find it. I think one of the, the most 
glaring examples in our world today is Christians who have such strong political connections, such strong political ideology, and they're so devoted to honoring a political party that they are unable to acknowledge the sin of those individuals who are part of it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you who to vote for. I'm not trying to tell you which political party because, to be honest, you don't want to hear my opinion about the Democrats or my opinion about the Republicans or or even, you know, uh, whatever other parties there may be or what other politicians there may be because the reality is, is that in every part of humanity, in every human organization, there is sin. And it doesn't mean that God isn't going to use some person or even some organization for his will. We see in the Bible over and over again where God actually uses terrible, evil people to accomplish his will because God is sovereign. But we have to be able to sit back with a kingdom mindset. Listen, we, we are not on the Democrat side and we are not on the Republican side. We, we're, not, we're not on on any organization side because no organization has the corner market on righteousness and holiness. God alone can dictate that. But what happens is we become so committed, maybe not even to a party, maybe it's just a friend group, maybe we just care so much and we're so loyal to even our friends that we're unwilling to speak out against the sin in their life. We simply tolerate it. We've become so accustomed to sin that it doesn't shock us anymore. It's all of a sudden, somehow we've gotten to a place where it is normal for us to, to log on to social media and watch a video of someone being shot. That that is normal. It doesn't even shock us anymore, it seems. It's normal to hear about another leader or politician who's, who's been convicted or is, or is being investigated for some sort of conviction over bribery or some scandal. Adultery is so normal. It's so normal in our, in our culture that we don't think twice about someone divorcing their spouse and going and marrying someone else, and they're still a part of the church because we've become so comfortable with sin. A, um, a little while back, about a year ago, my wife and I, uh, we, we got licensed as foster parents, and so we had to go through some training and heard a lot of stories. And then, and then we had kids come and stay in our house. And I'm telling you, like, nothing, nothing prepares you for the things you hear. Nothing prepares you to hear about what's happened to these children and what has happened in their life and the terrible, horrible things they've gone through. And to be honest, I found myself being really angry a lot. And really broken and frustrated. Frustrated at the system, frustrated at people, frustrated at parents that were supposed to have responsibility, frustrated that, that there was no teacher, there was no counselor, there was no one who was willing to speak up when they saw something wrong. And to see that things went on until it got so terrible that they had to be removed and, and placed with us. And I'm thankful we had this opportunity, but but it just makes me angry. You see, kids don't know better. They don't understand right and wrong the way adults do. But to know that there were adults who knew the terrible things that were happening to these children, and for whatever reason, they, they honored 
their boyfriend or girlfriend. They honored some family friend. They honored some code among family that they were willing to be silent while atrocities happened to children. It makes me angry, and I, I hope it makes you angry too. I hope it breaks your heart the way it breaks my heart. But I believe our Heavenly Father looks down from above, and He sees our sin, and He sees our brokenness, and He sees us tolerating sin. He sees us being comfortable with evil. And it breaks His heart, and He said, why won't my people speak up? Why won't my people say something about the sin that is so rampant in our culture and our society? And, and maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, yes, I agree. We ought to defend the defenseless. We ought to help the orphans and the widows. Absolutely. We need to deal with sin in those areas. But what would happen if I said, hey, bring me your playlist of what you've been listening to this week. And let me read the lyrics out loud for everyone to hear. And let's ask the question, who are you honoring? Would those things honor your father? Or, or are they contributing to the, the destruction and depravity of our world? See, we like to think that, well, well, you know, this thing isn't connected to that thing. Well, all these other folks, they're grown folks, and it's not my business to say anything about them. It is the place of the church to call evil evil and call good good. That we ought to have a heart after God's own heart so that the things that God hates that we would hate also and the things that God loves we would love also. But the problem is we in the church have chosen to honor our friends. We've chosen to honor our groups or our other allegiances over God. And it's to the point that we can't even speak up when something is wrong. We live in a culture that you're either my best friend or you're my worst enemy. This idea of cancel culture. And if you disagree with me, then we can never be okay. Listen, I can be your friend and I can tell you that I think your divorce is sin against God and that when you remarry in adultery, you're living in a state of adultery the rest of your life and I love you enough that I can actually have that conversation with you, not because I hate you, not because you're my enemy, but because I actually love you and I love God so much that I would rather honor God than have your favor in my life. Too often Christians want to honor others, we want to honor our friends, we want to honor our political parties, or our other associations, our business partners, we want to honor them above God. And how in the world can we make that choice and expect God to speak to us, to expect his presence to be here with us? See, I'm talking to you about this because there's this word that's been in my mind for the last week or so, and it just, it just won't go away. The word is Ichabod. We only see it here in 1 Samuel. So after all of this has happened, God judges um, Eli's house. And on the same day, uh, Eli and both of his sons die. And one of Eli's sons, Phinehas, his wife, is about to give birth. And as she's giving birth, she gets word that her husband and his brother and his, his, his father have all died. And the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, has been captured by the Philistines. And, and she's dying in childbirth. And as she's dying in childbirth, she gives birth. And with her last breath, they ask her his name. And she says, Ichabod, for the Lord has departed. Or the presence of the Lord has departed. Why had the presence of the Lord departed? Why was this such a dark day? Because those who knew what was right chose to honor their friends and family over honoring God. 
Eli knew what was right. Eli wasn't a terrible person. There are many worse people in the Bible than Eli. But, but the scripture is clear. God judged him because he chose to honor his sons before he honored God. We have to make a choice. Are we going to honor God? Or are we going to honor other things? Are we going to honor our future plans more than we honor God? Are we going to honor what our friends think of us more than we're going to honor God? Are we going to honor what society says is right and wrong and okay? Or are we going to honor God? Are we going to honor our political affiliations and put our hope in other things outside of Jesus? Or are we going to honor God? You see, oftentimes we would like to argue, well, it's not so terrible. It's not, it's not such a bad thing, you know. Like this, this guy, Hoffney and Phineas, like they just wanted some steak. Like who doesn't want like some roasted meat on, on the grill, right? You get your ribeye, it's got a lot of good fat on it, and you grill that thing just right. They just didn't want boiled meat. They wanted grilled meat. That's all. That's not, it's not a terrible sin. It's not a terrible thing. No, it's not a terrible thing unless God said otherwise. And this is really the problem. We, we want to try to explain away why it's okay to do the things we're doing. We want to make it out like, oh, you're, he's not such a bad person. I'm not such a bad person. It's not, it's not so bad that I, I watch this or listen to that or I affiliate myself with this person. This idea, oh, well, if, if there's no victim, well, there's no crime. David said, against you alone, O Lord, have I sinned. Yes, I, I ought to honor my brothers and sisters because the Bible commands me. But first and foremost, I need to honor God. You see, in times like this, in times of turmoil, in times of chaos, when, when things are so divisive, when people are so stressed out and frustrated, when everything feels so awkward and stale and stagnant, this is the time that we need to hear the voice of God. Listen, you have friends who are not following Jesus right now. Maybe they profess to be Christians, but they are not actually really following Jesus. And they need to come alive, and they need to hear the voice of God. They need the Lord's presence in you to show them the way, to give them hope that this chaos is going to one day end. I know that it seems like things are very difficult. Things are trending in a very negative direction. I realize that I've been quite dismal in my description of our society and our culture and recent events. And to be honest, it is quite distressing. It should distress us, the things that are happening, the things that are becoming normal. This should distress us. But I'm not telling you this so that you can be distressed. I'm telling you this so that you can cling to the hope, so that you can seek out and be the answer. You see, we cannot afford for the word of God to be rare in our days and for visions to be scarce. We need to see the plans of God for ourself, for this, for this country, for this campus. We need to know. And this is the good news. This is the hope for you tonight. In Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 19, this is what it says. It says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until a time for the restoring of all things 
about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This world needs Jesus. This world needs times of refreshing to come from the Lord's presence. We need God's presence now than we've, more now than we've ever had before because the world is in chaos. People need hope. You need hope. I need hope. We need the presence of God. So what are we to do? When Acts here says that we should repent, I know that repent is maybe not a popular word to say. Uh, it's really weird how that makes Christians uncomfortable when we tell them to repent. We look at people like John the Baptist and Jesus, and we look at their sermons and what they preach on. There's a lot of repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is it near. Do the works of repentance. Of repentance. Show the fruit of repentance. Repent. Repent. Repent, be changed, be transformed, be different than you were before. A lot of us, we get offended when someone says, you need to repent of that thing. The reality is this, that, that as Christians, we ought to normalize repentance, that repentance should be normal for us because that means we acknowledge that we, we don't have the answers we haven't gotten it right. We have not yet been perfected. We are still struggling with so much brokenness in our own lives. And we just normalize this idea that I'm going to confess to you that I'm broken. I'm going to confess to God that I'm broken. And I'm going to repent openly. I'm going to ask you to help me walk in continued repentance because I know that I'm still not going to get it right. But I'm going to repent because I want God's presence. Because if I don't repent, if I can't turn from sin, how can I be in the presence of a holy God? I'm not talking about making yourself holy. Sure, we ought to be holy because the Lord calls us to be holy. We want to, ought to long to be holy. And that's the question is, do you want to be holy? If God wants to remove some stuff from your life, I know that you don't have the power to overcome things. You might be stuck in addiction, and maybe you don't have the power to overcome your addiction or your struggle. But do you even want to be holy? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I'm going to open my hand. Will you come take this thing? Jesus, I'm going to open my hand. You can have my playlist. You can have the things that I look at that I know I shouldn't look at. You can have the people in my life that I know are saying things that are not honoring to you, that I'm tolerating their sin because I care about what they think. But, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be willing to give up those people and those things because I want to honor you more than I honor my friends or more than I honor this group of people. God, I, I want my life to be holy, and there's these, all these things that I'm busy doing, and they're not terrible things, but I'm honoring them and giving them my time before I'm giving you my time. Maybe they're good causes, but they're not the best cause. Who are you honoring? If you want to hear the voice of God, honor God above all else. Jesus does not want to be second place in your heart. He does not want to be second place in your life. So I want to close this way. I'm going to ask you, what is it that you need to repent of? Where have you been honoring other things ahead of God? Where have you been honoring your own feelings? Where have you been honoring your own uh, grudges? Where have you been honoring your own association or your friends or maybe your family members or your political party or maybe there's a social group or a social program? What is it that you've been honoring more than God and you need to say, God, I'm sorry. 
I'm going to give you this thing so I can put you in its place. And right now, I'd just like to ask you, what is God speaking to you about? Because my guess is that as I've been speaking, the Lord has been speaking to your heart and showing you things that ought not to be there. Things that you have been tolerating for way too long. Sin that you know is sin, but for whatever reasons, you've learned to tolerate it. Maybe it doesn't even bother you as much anymore because you're so comfortable with it. I encourage you, take some time. Talk to God. Say, God, I repent. I was wrong. My opinion about this action or this thing was wrong. The place that I gave this thing or this action was wrong. And I want to turn to you because I want to be revived. I want you to make me alive again. I, I don't want my life to be Ichabod where the Lord and his presence have departed. I don't want my life to be like Israel where, where the word of the Lord was scarce. Lord, I, I need to hear your voice. I need to know the plans you have for me. I need to know what you want me to do. I need to know what you want to do in my friends and my family's life. I need you, Lord Jesus. And I need you so much. And I want your presence and your voice so much that I'm willing to repent. Even if that means I need to repent publicly to people I've wronged. Even if it means I need to repent publicly to my small group and ask them to pray for me. Listen, there are a lot of terrible things in this world. There are a lot of evil things happening in Washington, D.C. There are a lot of evil things happening in the Alabama State House. There are a lot of evil things happening everywhere in our world. Just terrible things are happening. I want them to stop. But right now, I don't have a ton of control over those other things. But, but what I do have some influence over is what's in my heart. And if there's going to be a revival of God's presence in our lives, it needs to start in my own heart. And if I can deal with that first, if I can call my own heart to repent, if I can allow God to examine me, then maybe I can be an example for someone else. And I can say, look what Jesus did for me. He can do it for you also. I want to pray over you. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know the sin and the evil that we have become so comfortable with. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks your hearts. Cause us to see things from your perspective, not our own. Lord, make us a holy people devoted to you, a people who live and walk in your spirit and in your presence, who hear your voice and declare your word so that others can know you also. Lord, we need your presence and we repent. We repent for every broken word, every broken promises. We repent, Lord God, for where we have gone through the motions of Christianity, where we have made worship about ourselves and not about you. We repent. Cleanse us, Lord, and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can find us online at troychiapha.com, email us at troychiapha at gmail.com, or look us up on social media at Troy Kaiapa. If you've enjoyed this sermon, we would encourage you to join us in person on Wednesday night for our weekly Wednesday night worship service. Thanks for listening. <laughs>